This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. series called the Sermon on the Mount Uh, and if you journey with us so far we're describing uh, life under God's good rule uh, and a life that's that's right at the heart level not just appears good on the surface and last week uh, uh, Jesus challenged us uh, directly to not live for the applause of the crowd uh, not to do things for for public approval but to to live for the audience of one of, of God the Father in the heavens and in one sense, we've been finding that, that Jesus is saying your heart can't be divided between two motivations. It can't be divided between playing to the crowd and being uh, focused on, on your father in secret. And we're going to kind of continue that where we look really today at, at, at motivations of the heart again. Um, we're going we're to look and find that you can actually, you can't treasure money or you can't, uh, and God in the same heart. And so what's going to happen in the passage today is that we're going to have a bit of a heart scan. Uh, I've had a heart scan recently. More about that another time. And, uh, and, and in one sense, that Jesus scans our heart to find out what our true motivations are. And if you've come this morning and you think, oh my word, uh, it's, I've come to church and here we are, they're talking about money. I spoke to my neighbour uh, a few weeks ago. We had, a, we had some drinks around and some friends around and they said, oh, the churches were desperate to be open, weren't they? Because they just wanted your money. And so it's just like, so if you've come this morning, you think, all right, that's the classic outside perception. We're just after your money. No, we're not after your money. We're just following Jesus' pattern as he works and talks about money. In fact, Jesus talks so much about money that actually if I talk that much about money, everyone would think, man, this church is obsessed with money. He talks about money a lot more than we talk about money. But we are talking about money this week. And Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, says this. Money is the, is the true test of our heart. It's an index of our spiritual life. Our use of money tells a story. In the sense, how we relate to money and possessions is the story of our life. And that's why Jesus talks about it a lot, because it's like one of the key indicators of how you're really doing. So we've got a uh, a longish reading, uh, and then hopefully we'll we'll find our way forward. So we're in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves... Treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, uh, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you no much more valuable than they? How can uh, any one of you, by your anxiety, add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow, they do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If this our God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? I, uh, so, I, so do not be anxious saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus, we, we thank you for your words. And Lord, although you spoke them to first century Jews on a mountain, Lord, they speak to us. Lord, even just reading them, they speak to us. Their challenge and their insightfulness speaks to us. But Lord, you're not here. You don't want to pin us in a corner. You want to give us freedom. So I pray, Lord, as we work through these words of yours, Lord, you'd give us freedom. Help us to have Open hearts to hear. Soft hearts to hear. Lord, help us not to grasp tightly onto our wallets and purses this morning and close our hearts to you. But I pray, give us open hands and open hearts. In Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. So the first part of the passage, Jesus shows us two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. And he uses the pattern, do not, but... And then he takes the second half and maps it onto anxiety. If you want to listen to a great sermon on anxiety, uh, you can go back for our archives. Did you even speak from this passage, Steve? You spoke on anxiety. You can't remember what... You can't remember. I'm here giving you a big up moment. And you are, can't remember... We should coordinate. When I'm bigging you up, because then you can big me up. Uh, Steve spoke on anxiety uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, really great passage. Uh, really good sermon. So you can go back and look at that. Uh, and um, but so so Jesus talks about two eyes, two treasures, two masters, and then he maps that onto anxiety. So he starts up with a pretty straight and obvious statement: Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, ever been burgled. I remember we used to do, Naomi and I used to do church in Manchester, and I, 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 said, to a, uh, I said to the church, um, hands up if you've been a, a victim of burglary or crime, and everybody put their hand up. Uh, put your hand up here if you've been a victim of ver- burglary or crime. Yeah, so f- a few of us. In, in Manchester it was everyone, and they all came to me afterwards and said, yeah, I was mugged on the street <laughs> in the middle of Manchester. It's like, okay, Manchester got a lot better actually, but you know, I think we, we've been broken into, we were on holiday and people took our staff and you feel kind of, whoa, and like, you feel a bit, bit nervous about it. And, you know, I've, and I've, got, I've had moths eat my shirts, I've got the, put those 
there's little mothballs in. I don't know if it's helping, but, you know, put moths in the church. I don't know if I've had rats. We haven't, we've never had rats and vermin, particularly. But, you know, basically, Jesus is kind of saying, if you store up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth, they ain't going to last. Jesus draws our attention to the comparable durability of two types of treasure. The way Jesus evaluates it means it ought to be easy which to decide to collect. And let's answer the question. So do you want treasures that basically don't last, that moth and and rats and thieves can steal, or do you want treasures that last forever? That's fairly straightforward, isn't it? At this point, you shouldn't be scratching your head and thinking, well, I'm not quite sure. And you think, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I get it. You know, treasure on earth don't last. You know, that moths eat your clothes and soft furnishings. Your carpets get dirty. You know, rats eat your food. Thieves uh, can rob and steal it. Your investments can go down as go up. You know, we kind of know that about the the lack of durability about money. And, And earthly wealth promises permanence. But in Jesus' assessment, it offers no real security. And it's, well, it's, that's really simple then, isn't it? So if our object is to lay up treasure, we should presumably concentrate on the heavenly kind, which can't be uh, stolen, but can be stored for eternity. It can't be subject to depreciation or destruction. And so since Jesus puts it like that, I'd like you all now to take out your mobile phones and to, to go on your banking app and to give away all your money. Okay, let's do it. Well, come on, Jesus has just said, hasn't he? He's just said, come on, don't store up treasures on earth because it's not going to last. So store up treasures in heaven. So take out your phones and give your money to the poor. Give your money to God's work. Give give your money away. And you're all laughing at me, aren't you? And if you're visiting, you think, oh, I hate this church. (laughs) (laughs) But you see, it's like, uh, why do we find Jesus' advice so hard to apply? Why do we rationalise it away? Why do we think it it doesn't apply to us, that it applies to rich millionaires? As a philosopher called uh, Kierkegaard, who's Danish, uh, he must have come from Yorkshire because he puts this incredibly bluntly, uh, almost too bluntly, but I I think I'll I'll quote it to make a point. (laughs) Why do we do what Jesus says? The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. (laughs) But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. Welcome, scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand the Bible because we know very well that the minute we understand, we'll be obliged to act accordingly. We say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined and I'll never get on in the world. (laughs) I mean, isn't that kind of true? You think, well, thank you, Alex, for your (laughs) humour. You think, oh, my word. And I think Kierkegaard is, is kind of right. We think, no, 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 the, Jesus, you must be metaphorical. You must be being metaphorical here. You cannot really mean that. You know, and if you mean it, you must really mean it some greedy millionaire who lives in the kind of nice Regency mansion down the road from us. You definitely don't mean it for us, correct? Yeah. You know, we, and, and I, don't know if I, I don't know if I'd go so far as say Christians are a bunch of scheming, scheming swindlers, but I think he's trying to, Kierkegaard's trying to punch the point home. Jesus is actually a bit more subtle than Kierkegaard, and he helps us to understand why. Jesus throws, he literally tries to throw some light on why we find it so hard, and why we find it so easy to trust money and store up treasures on earth. And he brings in this kind of random phrase. You think, what's this to do with anything? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, 
your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within is darkness, how great is it? And you think, great, that's really very profound. It's kind of a bit sage-like, isn't it? Your eye is lamp a lamp to your body. And you kind of think, hmm, that's all very interesting. Doesn't seem to have very much to do with, with, with what he's previously said, does it? Now, if Tim was here, he's not here today because he's been answering my questions for the last few weeks, he'd be saying, oh, I know what it is. It appears completely out of the flow of the point that Jesus is making. But actually, it's central to it. Let me help you. Jesus says the eye allows light into the body, much as a window allows light into a room. Now, you've got to remember that, that when, when we talked about this, when it says pluck, pluck your eye out, remember we're talking about plucking your eye out, cutting your hand off? The eye represents what? The way you see the world. The eye, in Jewish thought, represents the way you see the world. So it's talking about the way you see the world. And Jesus contrasts two eyes. And I'm going to geek out on you, and I don't like to do this very often, but there is a kind of below-the-surface of my kind of humorous banter. I do do quite a lot of hard work, and I'm going to show you my workings now, which is not so that you will I get my reward from you, as last week, but so that you'll kind of think I'm not making this up. So, so let's show this. So there's, a, there's an app called Bible Gateway... Sorry, there's an app called Bible Hub. And what I do is, when I'm reading through the passages, I kind of go and say, what does this word mean? Because obviously, you know, it's, Jesus is speaking in Greek, and it's written in Greek, and I don't speak New Testament Greek. I'm not one of those clever people that went to that kind of place. So I look this up. And the word is actually called hapless. I don't even know if you pronounce it like that. H-A-P-L-O-S. And basically, it means simple. It means simple. Now, if you've got a, has anyone got a Bible in front of you? No, because you trust my translations. What have you got in front? Have you got? Have you got it in front of you? What's the word you've got in for the eye there, uh, Lanka? We're, we're doing uh, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the la, if the eye is, anyone else got? Steve, what you got? If your eyes are good. Eyes are good. Yeah. So it talks about this as if the eye is good. And so basically you get this word translated as healthy or sound or good or clear. And that can understand almost like a window that's clear where you get that, don't you? Or, or a window that's good. Well, how can a window be good? We don't kind of get that. But actually the word means single. Is that what it says? It says single in. What you got? What version? Old King James! Old King James is on it in this one. He's rubbish on the rest of it. <laughs> but he's good on this. So he says it's single. In other words, it's like the eye is single in its focus. It's single in its focus. It's not divided. It's not looking two ways. It's not kind of focused on, on, on God and on money. It's not looking two ways. And in fact, it's a beautiful, the word that Jesus uses is a beautiful double entendre, double meaning, because actually the word also means generous. So Jesus is saying, if your eye is, is your, if your eye is, is undivided and generous, in other words, your eye is singly focused on one thing, and it's generous in love towards one thing. He's saying if your eye is singly focused and generous in love towards Jesus, not clouded or out of focus, double vision, by materialism and greed, then your life will be full of light. 
Does that follow? So this idea of singleness, and we've been talking about double, we've been talking about dividing, we've been talking about two. And say, say, no, there's one eye that's single in its focus. And that would mean if your life is singly focused on undivided, generous love towards God, your life will be full of light and life. But Jesus contrasts that with the, the bad eye or the unclear eye or the healthy eye or the evil eye. What have you got? What does it say in yours? What's it say in yours, Steve? Your eyes are bad. Your eyes are bad. Actually, some says evil or whatever. And it's basically contrasting this. But actually, we've got a term for bad eyes, haven't we? In fact, Naomi used to quote it from Shakespeare, didn't you? When, is it from Shakespeare? Othello. From Othello, thank you. Jealousy is a green-eyed monster. It does eat, mock the meat. It, what's it? It doth mock the meat it feeds on. That's a bit of Shakespeare for you. And basically saying, jealous, we are, you know, kind of, we know about the green-eyed monster. And, and basically, Jesus is saying, there's this other eye, that this other eye that's, that's, that's consuming jealousy and grasping envy. It's this eye that focuses on stuff and says, I want it, I want it, I want it. And Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now the question is, which eye have you got? It's quite difficult to know which eye have you got. Have you got this clear, focused eye that's big-hearted and generous towards God? Or have you got this, this, this bad eye, this jealous eye, this green eye that's, that's focused on, on getting stuff for you? And the thing is, you don't really know. You can't look and say, I mean, what colour eyes have you got, Joss? I think they're blue. I'm glad they're blue, not green. <laughs> but you know, you don't really know. You can't look in a mirror and say, ah, I've definitely got a clear eye that's focused on God and singly charted towards him. Although we'd all love to have that. You can't really look in a mirror. You can't really do that and tell. Tim Keller in his beautiful book, Counterfeit God, says this. I don't know if I'd say fascinating, but I think it's a good quote. Greed is a fascinating sin. <laughs> Because unlike every other sin, most people are aware when they are being greedy. As a pastor, he says, I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Well, almost, he says. But I cannot recall anyone coming to me and saying, I've spent too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family and my soul and people around me. He says, greed hides itself from the victim. The money gods, modus operandum, a way of operating includes the blindness of your own heart. So Jesus is making a point about how we perceive ourselves. And so Jesus says, well, it's not, easy, it's not obvious to know what you're actually doing. You don't really know, obviously, whether you're storing up treasures in heaven or whether you're storing up on earth because greed has blinded our eyes. It, it clouds our ability to view the world so that we can blindly, foolishly, destructively uh, spend our energy on money and possessions that don't last, and we don't even know we're doing it. Thanks, Christopher. So you think you're doing the basics, right? With your money. And I, this, you know, this talk challenged me before I ever talked it to you. You know, I think, well, we're putting a roof over our family's heads, putting food on the table and clothes on the kids' backs, or clothes on our backs. And you think, well, that's, that's the basics, isn't it? You know, that, that, surely Jesus isn't saying you're not supposed to do that. And he's not saying you're not supposed to do that. 
And okay, you say, well, it's quite handy if, if all our kids have their own bedrooms and you know, everyone's got a phone these days and cars are fairly essential in 21st century life. Yeah, and I, I do have a holiday. I'm going to South Wales and Andy Wilson, where are you, Andy? Said, he's gone. Oh, are you there? Said, it's, it's too expensive to go away to an Airbnb and I said, I'm going away for an Airbnb. But of course, Andy, it's not lavish. I'll send pictures. It's quite <laughs> basic where we're going. And you think like... Well, I'm just doing the basics. I'm not being a greedy so-and-so. And I'm not saying you can't go away on holiday or whatever. Please don't hear me what I'm saying. I'm just saying, but we don't really know. Materialism and greed has the ability to hide itself in plain sight in our lives. We can't or won't see it in our own life. We need someone else to tell us. We need someone else to tell us. We need somebody to say, actually, you're being very materialistic. We need somebody to ask, how generous are you? We need somebody to say, what percentage of your money do you give away? I mean, I don't know if anybody's asked you that. It's not my job, but, you know, you need somebody because basically you don't know if you're a tight-fisted swindler or whatever the phrase was. You don't really know. And, of course, if, you've got, if they've got permission to, to speak into your life, you've got permission to speak into theirs. Okay, so let's try now. So having said that, I'd like to ask you the question, hands up now, having said that, just a bit of self-awareness, hands up here if you're rich. Oh, some of you have played before, haven't you? Oh no, you've gone ahead of me! <laughs> Don't worry, my fault, I should put it on two slides. Yes, yes, we're, hands up if you're rich. If you are, we are all rich, right? But none of us would say, if you, if you introduce, I mean, actually, your business is doing quite well, Tom, isn't it? Right. So are you, are you rich? It puts food on the table. It puts food on the table. <laughs> 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 Nobody's kind of putting their hand up saying, I'm rich. Yes, that's me. I'm rich. You know, Bill Gates, he's rich. I'm not rich. And there's this website you can put in your average, you can put in your household income. In other words, it takes, you know, you add up both of the incomes and then you take off the tax that the government tax and then you put that at the top. I've covered mine up, obviously, because I'm so rich. I'm in the top 5% of people globally. Wow. If you're on the average income, that means there's probably just one of you in the household, and you're on the average income. You're in the top 10% in the world if you're on the average income in the UK. Are you rich? But of course we're not greedy, are we? I'm not a materialist, surely I'm just a pastor, I'm storing up my treasure in heaven. You know, I'm clearly not a greedy materialist. But interestingly, Cheltenham is discipling all of us to be materialists. Because you drive around and you think, flip, that's a flipping nice car, isn't it? You know, I've got a nice car, actually. I was deciding when we bought our car, we got some, given some money, should I buy a BMW or should I buy a, a Volvo? And I thought, Volvo's a little bit less ostentatious, isn't it? I might get away with that. You know, pastor that drives BMW knows this. I'm horrified you even thought of getting a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. Mercedes or whatever. I knew that Nabs had been took off. On this place where we went, um, there's a little family discussion just talking among yourselves. <laughs> in, the place, in the place we went to get cars, they had all sorts. They had Land Rovers, Mercedes, whatever. You could have got all of those. Anyway, I'm now in deep water, aren't I? But you drive around, don't you? You drive around in your car and you look at other people's cars and you think, ah, that's a flipping nice car. I mean, Cheltenham is full of nice cars, isn't it? I mean, the number of Teslas, the number of really nice, I mean, the number of Range Rovers that park on our neighbours' drive, it's amazing. You know, and you always think, wow, 
you know, I'm not rich. You look at someone, you look at the houses in Cheltenham. I, I don't know, you know, there's a talk on covetousness. Does anyone look at houses in Cheltenham and think, flip, it'd be nice to live there, wouldn't it? Yeah, you think. <laughs> People come to our house and say, you've got a really nice house. Somebody came up to get connected on Wednesday and said, you've got a really nice house. And I thought, have I? I thought I'd have like a small house, you know. Surely that person's house is really big. Because we don't really see it. I remember one time we used to go to church in Bath and um, I don't know what the talk was about, but the, the, we, we were hosting, I, was, I wasn't married at the time, but I was hosting a, a pastor from Sri Lanka. And we were walking out, away after the meeting and I think somebody had said something about, like, if you trust God, God will bless you. If you trust God, God will bless you with your finances. And he said this, I find it staggering that Western Christians are believing God for financial blessing and physical health when among the richest people in the world. He said they should live in a Sri Lankan lifestyle and then they'd see how rich they truly are. And I'm not saying God can't bless you. I'm really not saying God can't bless you. And I'm not saying that God can't open the windows of heaven, he says, and pour out such blessing on you. And that if you're generous towards him, he'll be generous towards you. I'm not saying that. But it, I find it staggering that, that, that the higher up the economic scale, the more likely you are to fall for that lie. That you're not really rich and God, if you follow God, God's going to give you, is going to bless you financially. And the, the thing is, we all too easily lose our single-eyed, undivided, generous love for the Father in heaven because we, because we don't really know how much our eyes being clouded. Jesus says, your heart tells you. Your treasure tells you where your heart is. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. And then Jesus punches home his point and he speaks about two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just puts it absolutely bluntly. This is the point I'm making. You cannot serve both God and money. We're familiar with that. If you've been around church any time, you know that. Jesus uses the Aramaic word mammon and that literally means the treasure you trust in. So he says you cannot serve God and the treasure you trust in. But he, put, he gives mammon like a, 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 almost a, a personal pronoun name. He says it's a spiritual power. It's a, a false god. It's an idol. And we do three things with idols. We love them. We trust them. And eventually we serve and worship them. So how do you know? Your heart tells you. Lovers of money find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money. New possessions to buy. Do you ever do that? Sometimes you think a little bit of retail therapy, I might feel happy. You know, you change your phone. We were having this discussion in the car. I'm not going to embarrass Naomi again because I'm already in deep water. <laughs> Jotham said I, he stuck with his phone. He didn't upgrade his phone. And then Naomi, well, I upgraded Naomi's phone for her. And he said, why have you done that? And I think, well, you kind of feel better about it, don't you? <laughs> You know, and, and, and we kind of love the sense of significance and superiority that money gives you. Yeah? You do. We tend to, if, if, if you think you're poor here, okay, you might be relatively poor here in the UK. But basically, if you've got money, you tend to look down on people who don't have money. There's a classic sketch for, with Ronnie Corbett and... John Cleese and this is like, I'm upper class and I look down on him. <clears throat> and I'm middle class 
and I look down on him, and he's working class. And the middle class guy says, well, I'm upper class, and I look up to him. But I'm lower class, and look down on him. And yet, does anyone remember that sketch? Yes. Thank you. It's very, very old and quite poignant. But there's a sense where <clears throat> we like money because it, it gives us a sense of superiority. And we don't just think that we're superior to them economically. We tend to think that we're superior to them in all kind of ways. I remember when I first became a governor at Balcaris, the very first guy I, I introduced myself to or introduced himself to me was a guy called, well, I won't say his name actually, and, and I introduced myself and I said, hello, and he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, oh, which church? And I said, God first. And the usual response is, never heard of it. <laughs> so I'm feeling big at this point. And I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, uh, I, <clears throat> I used to work at the Bank of England. And I like, immediately, like, you are upper class and I look up to you. <laughs> and there's that kind of sense where, did he feel superior? Did I feel insignificant? But it kind of does that. And lovers of money love the superiority and the sense of importance and significance that money gives them. And they wrestle with jealousy towards those that have more than they do. The truth is we always compare up, don't we? We don't compare down, we always compare up. And then if we trust money, we trust money because it gives us control in our lives. We feel safe and secure because of wealth. Now Jesus isn't saying don't save for a rainy day. And obviously, if you're South African and you've come to the UK, it's rainy a lot here, isn't it? You know, so he's not saying don't save for a rainy day. But the reality is, if you're starting to say, I need to have some more, I need to have some more to feel secure, you're on a slippery slope to trusting it. Money cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in a chaotic world. You can have all the money in the world stored up, but the reality is it cannot save you from tragedy, or it cannot save you from chaotic world. It can't save you from suffering. It can't save you from robs, robbing. It can't save you from your business going down. It can't save you from ill health. It can't save you from that. Only God can do that. It's a false God that promised to bring security, but just ends up bringing anxiety. And ultimately, uh, idolatry makes us servants of money. You know, money's, a, money's actually quite a good servant. If you can be in charge of your money, money's quite a good servant. But the truth is, we think we're in charge of our money, but our money's in charge of us. I don't know, it's been a long time since I used the... Um, I should have worn my ring today. Um, has anybody... <laughs> I don't like wearing my ring. It gives me irritation, so I've got a wedding ring. So can you give me a ring, Nays? Or somebody give me a ring? Oh, thanks, man. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. I don't know, you've seen the Lord of the Rings? You've seen the Lord of the Rings? This is the ring of power. (laughs) You know, in the Lord of the Rings, it's all about the fate of the ring. it's yeah, okay, good, we're good, we're good. It's been a while. But the, the wearer of the ring is promised power and significance and control. And what happens is the wearers of the... Can I put your ring on? They go, I'll put it on without a finger. It's like you go invisible now, you can't see me, can you? <laughs> no, I'll take it off, see? But it's like what happens is the, the, the kind of wearers of the ring, I think we might have a picture there, it's like, what do they do? It's like... My precious, the precious, 
the precious, it will be mine, my precious, my precious. I will not be part of where it's got the precious, if you got the precious. You know? And, and, and money kind of does that to us, doesn't it? It's kind of, it, it kind of slowly, it offers power and control, but slowly it corrupts and enslaves and it destroys the creature golem. He kills to have it. He must have that pressure. I will not be parted from the precious. And we sit at home, don't we, stroking our big widescreen TV or whatever it is. I don't know what we're stroking with. My precious. My precious. My bifold doors. My precious. <laughs> you know, what we do that. My, my Volvo. My precious. Don't be parted from my precious. You know. And, and we don't know. We think it's... Thank you. <laughs> And we think it's all a bit, we think it's all kind of fine, but actually it's absolutely destroying us. And money can do that. We think it's, we think it's your servant, but it's a terrible master. So, where are we getting to here? Nearly finished. If we do treasure, focus our eyes on, and ultimately serve money, as normal people think we should, our fate is fixed. Our fate is anxiety. Our fate is worry. Our fate is frustration. Jesus takes this up and says in Matthew 6.25, I tell you, having said about these things, about three, two masters, two eyes, sorry, two treasures, two eyes, two masters, he then says, your fate is anxiety. I tell you, do not be anxious about the life, about your life. What, it start, the, the verse starts with a word, what? And you're supposed to, if you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? Thank you. You're supposed to ask, what is it there for? You've played before. It's there for because Jesus is continuing his theme. Sometimes you hear sermons on anxiety and it starts there, but Jesus is continuing his theme. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? The word he uses for anxiety and worry, and this freaked me out when I saw it, Q Bible Hub, means, the word he uses to be anxious means to be drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts, pulled to pieces, pulled apart. In other words, anxiety is this pulled apart Nurse, I thought, wow, Jesus, you're quite a clever chap, aren't you? He's saying, if your life is undivided... Where he knows where its treasure is, it knows where its heart, its singles focus and delight is, it, it knows which master it's serving, then you will not be anxious. But if your heart is, if your eye and your heart is divided, you will, you will be anxious. If our heart is divided on treasure on earth and treasure in heaven, then we'll divide it into parts with worry. If our life, our, our life is divided between one focus on a generous love for Jesus and a, con- a consuming, jealous eye clouded with envious materialism, then we'll be torn apart by anxiety. If your life is torn between trusting God, who is your Father in heaven, and trusting mam- mammon as your precious, then you'll slowly disintegrate and be destroyed, pulled apart in this life and in eternity. So how do we know if we've subtly made greed and materialism our God? How do we know if we expect money to give, if we're really expecting money to give us control over the uncertainties of life? Then we'll be overly focused on these type of questions. What shall I eat? What shall I drink? 
well, what shall I wear? And they feel like basic food on the table, clothes on your back kind of questions. But I mean, our society is obsessed with what we eat, aren't we? We're kind of obsessed by what we eat. I mean, it's got, I was going to say it's got worse, let's say it's got diverse. People's food choices are more and more and more diverse. And I'm not against wide food, wise food choices. I mean, my wife's having to push me in those directions, particularly my heart diagnosis ahead, pushing me in those directions. But the reality is people are obsessed with, with food. And the reason why they're obsessed with food is not because they like, oh, I like steak or I like vegetarian. We trust food ultimately because we think if we eat the right food, we're going to be okay. Now, I'm not saying eat stupid food and load your body with cholesterol. But we worry about what we're going to eat because we think that what we eat will determine our future. And it determines your short-term future. But it doesn't determine your future in, in eternity. And if you worry about it, Jesus says, worrying about it is not going to add a single day to your life. Don't be anxious about food. Hear what I'm not... Do, do, hear what, you're hearing what I'm not saying, aren't you? Well, you're not hearing what I... Oh, whatever, I don't even know. Dyslexia just kicked in then. I'm not saying don't eat stupid food. You know, have a northern diet like my family had. What I'm saying is, ultimately trusting in your diet is foolish. You're just going to be anxious about it. What shall we drink? I mean, I haven't got so much obsession about drinks, but, you know, it's like, man, the, food, the drink choices are right there, aren't they? What shall we wear? Why do we worry about what we wear? Hands up if you've got a wardrobe at home that's rather full. And you think, I just need to throw some out. Yeah, and you, but the thing is, you don't, why don't you throw them out? You know, I've got, two, I've got five pairs of jeans and I only wear two. And, it, you know, if, if, the, if the one of them's dirty, then I say, wash it. I think, why don't I throw the other ones out? I don't know. Why don't we worry about what we wear? We worry about what we wear because we want people to think good of us, don't we? You know, if it's got a nice label on or something, we want people to feel you're important, you're significant. We, we kind of image who we are. We image our, so, our, our social status by what we wear. And that makes us feel secure if people think, oh, you, you're dressing well, you're looking good, you know, whatever. Why so much spent on cosmetic surgery? Why much is so much is spent on trying to look good? And I'm not saying going to the gym's bad. It sounds like I'm all against eating and go, you know, trying to work out. It, you know, because we, we want to look good. We want people to think that's going to mean I'm okay. If I'm attractive, good-looking, acceptable person who dresses well, my life's going to go well. Jesus is saying anxiety becomes intense when we don't truly believe that God is good and God is truly in control. Your diet is not ultimately in control. Your debt, your dress sense is not ultimately in control. Whether your body's beautiful or whether you have possessions is not ultimately in control. Say amen. amen. Anxiety says we don't believe that God cares and that God can provide. I get anxious. Full disclosure, I'm anxious about will I have enough money to retire? Naomi says to me, trust God. And I'm saying, well, he isn't going to provide my pension pot. I mean, it's a lot, you know, I'm anxious about it. 
Because I don't really, in that moment, believe that he really cares. And he can really provide. God says, Jesus says, Howard, go for a walk. Go for a walk. Go up on Leckhampton Hill and look at the birds and look at the grass and look at the flowers and look at the hillside. And in fact, for Jesus is here, as he didn't say, get out of the dark, dingy theatre. They were already up on the hill, weren't they? They were already on the mount. They were already. It says, go and have a look outside and look at the birds. Can you nice picture? And consider who is really, really powerful, who's really, really trustworthy, who really, really takes care of things. He says, look at the birds. They don't go to work. Now, he's not saying don't go to work. You know, he says, they know that, that, he says you know, that God feeds the birds. Tuppence a bag, obviously. <laughs> you know, that he clothes the grass and the flowers. You think, I, I honestly, when I walk through creation, I, think, I always think one thing. I don't know what I was talking to about this. I always think God is amazing. When you go for a walk, you always think God is amazing. I just do that all the time. God, you're amazing. God, you're... And he says, just look how amazing God is. If he cares about creation like that, and he creates a creation like that, then what are you doing grabbing hold of your wallet? He says, you can close your hand tightly around your wallets and purses, and you can trust money to give you control of the uncertainties of life and death when it comes, or you can trust your Father in heaven, but you can't do both. And if you trust your money, your, your money and your wallet and your purse and your possessions, you will be anxious because you know really it's a false God and in the end when push comes to shove, it can't save you. So last question then, quickly to finish. So how do you store up treasure in heaven? How do you overthrow the idolatrous mastery of greed? How can you have an undivided heart? We always end here by deepening your understanding of the gospel of Jesus. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 8.8 and following. See that you excel in the grace of giving. Oh, I knew you were getting to that. I knew that all that kind of nice social commentary was really getting to get me to open my wallet. No, this is Paul. See that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, he says. But want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness or the generous giving of others. And who does he compare it with? Who's, he does compare it with others, but he compares it with one other, doesn't he? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. If you understand that Jesus gave up all the treasure in heaven to make you, in the words of Peter, his treasured possession. In fact, Isaiah 53, we read it last week, it says, you know, he, he looked at the joy set before him and considered the price was worth paying. That was us. He thought you were worth dying for. Not because you're amazing, but he thought, you know, to possess you, to love you, to have him in his deepest embrace, that was worth dying for. When you see him dying on the cross to make you his treasure, then you will make him yours. To the degree that you grasp the gospel, money is going to have no power of you. Think on his costly, sacrificial grace until it changes you into a sacrificially generous people. Tim Keller, 
I tried to transcribe this from a sermon that I listened to. So there's a long quote. But I just think it's so brilliant. It says, we need to have a cross in our economic life. But how do you know if there's a cross in our economic life? For the people listening to Jesus, the measure was the tithe. Give away 10% to God's work. That's a good way to see if the gospel is working in your undivided heart. For most of us, 10% will require sacrifice. It will be hard. 10% means there will be a cross in our economic and financial life. In other words, if you, if you looked at your finances, if, if, you know, and, and I think I'm not just being trivial about this. You know, the, the, the taking away of 20, 20 pounds universal credit, it's like a huge impact on, on people that are poor. You know, and when you live on, on the economic margins, 10% feels huge, doesn't it? 10% feels a massive sacrifice. But in Jesus' day, that was the expectation. 10% of your crops, 10% of your wine, 10% of your herds, 10% of your money was given into the temple. That, that, and Jesus is saying that's, that's, that's going to mean a huge sacrifice. But Keller is obviously in, in Manhattan. He's preaching in Manhattan. says, for many of you... 10% won't require a, a sacrifice. The reality is 10% isn't the standard. Read this. Say it. The cross. the cross is the standard. If Jesus, This is so good. If Jesus was tithing his blood, you'd still be lost. You know, there's a blood. Well, there's only 10%, there's only 10% of his... No, you know, no. You know, I've given 10% of my blood in situations. You know, I was using a chisel one time to open a a piece of thing, and I'm, oops, and out it spurts, 10% of my blood, I'm still here. Jesus poured out all his blood. His body was broken, his, his blood was poured out. If Jesus was tithing his blood, you'd still be lost. Jesus went way past the tithe. And then Keller says this, if Jesus is your treasure, you'll be giving your money away, joyfully, gladly, sacrificially. As I kind of listened to that and then wrote it down and thought about it, I thought, my giving isn't costing me. Really. Not like it's costing Jesus to save me. You know, I've got enough. I'm in the top 5% between the two of us. No kids at home at the moment, although we've got one back. I'm sure you cost a lot to feed this week, so I better reduce my tithe. No. <laughs> You know, just, it isn't costing me. But Keller's saying it should be costing you. Generosity should be costing you. Otherwise, you're in danger of being, serving the wrong master, looking through the wrong eye, having the wrong treasure. Band, why don't you come back? Jesus says, do not worry about your life. What you're going to, Eat what you're going to drink, what you're going to go wear. For the Heavenly Father knows you need these things. For the pagans run after all these things. That's the ones who don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus. And your Heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. He's got you. He's going to look after you. Up, down, high, low, 
bad moments, when the road's marked with suffering, when the sun's shining down, he's got you. He's not going to transfer cash into your bank all the time, but he's got you. And we say that when we come forward, take bread and wine, we're saying, Jesus, you gave it all for me. I'm willing to open my hands because I trust you. I trust that you're good and I trust that you care for me. And I trust that you've got me. We open our hands and we say no to anxiety. When I come forward, I, I, I say no to worry. What am I going to do when I retire? I say no to tomorrow's worries. They've got enough worries of their own. I say yes to an open hand and an open heart and an open wallet. Because though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we might have the righteousness of God. Okay, so we're going to come and we're going to say to Jesus, we're going to take his goodness. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're welcome to come and take this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and we'd love you to become one. You know, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? Treasure in heaven is going to last. Treasure in earth isn't. We'd love you to become one. We'd love to pray with you or grab the person you came with or grab one of us. We'd love to pray with you to say you want to become a follower of Jesus. But this meal's in that sense, not for you. So you're welcome to stay in your seat and think, I'm making my choices and I'm confident with the choices I'm making. And we won't point the finger at you or look down on you. But for the rest of us, if we're followers of Jesus, then I want us to consider our hearts. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, shine your light through the window of our eye right into my heart. Expose the materialism, the comfort, the greed. Wind off my hands, off my little precious. And say we hold to you the true treasure the true master, the true one who cares and loves us. So let's come, let's take. He gave it all for us so we can give all for him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.